So the first question, like I said, it, it could be, I talked about this in the past, I, I don't remember. Uh, I'll run through it fairly quickly. Um, and that is, what is the halacha about going to a wedding um, in a conservative hall? And w- is there a difference whether the conservative rabbi is doing it, not doing it? W- what's the halacha? So it's like this. Let's just break through this. Basically, three separate dinim. The first halacha, which is not as common, is if you're going to a conservative a wedding in a conservative hall, and the conservative rabbi is, uh, you know, doing the masadir kedushin. It's not very common because Baruch Hashem, we're from people here, and uh, it's not. It's just not as common. If the masadir kedushin is a conservative or reform rabbi. Ramosha Feinstein and Igris Moshe Avanezer, Simon Kuflam and Hay writes Beferish, it is absolutely also to attempt. There's no question that that's not allowed. Uh, the reason being very simple is because by you attending, you're giving credence to their whole approach, which is not allowed. Ramosha Lishitosoi, in many areas of halacha, Ramosha had a very strict view on conservative rabbis. Ramosha's view throughout his farm, conservative and reform, he doesn't make a distinction, and Ramosha's shitas throughout his farm is that he considered a conservative and reform rabbi, Apostolatus, uh, can't count towards a minion, even if they themselves are orthodox. Ramosha had a very, there are other gedolim that perhaps had a different view, but Ramosha Feinstein did not. Ramosha Feinstein held a very, very strict view, and that he felt that a, an, even an orthodox Jew is not allowed to be a conservative reform rabbi, you're not allowed to be uh, you know, teaching their, their views. He had a very strict view. I will say this, though. Rav Scheinberg, Rav Chaim Pichas Scheinberg, I once mentioned the one in the Shiurim that I had a contrast called Shailim B'Tshuva, that someone mentioned, I think is on Oitzer uh, HaChachma, if I'm not mistaken. Shailim B'Tshuva, Rav Scheinberg said, was asked this very question about going to a conservative wedding, a wedding in a conservative hall when the conservative rabbi is Masada Kedushin. And Rav Scheinberg said, to stand near the chuppah is definitely not allowed. To stand in the back, Bishas HaChak, in a case of extreme necessity, Rav Scheinberg felt to be lenient. That's the first category. Let's keep going. The first category is when the Masada Kedushin is, is ordaining the wedding. The second category is much more common, and that's the Masada Kedushin is a from Rav. It's a from wedding in a conservative hall. They're just using a conservative, they're renting a conservative hall. So Ramosha Feinstein, in a couple of chuvas, writes like this. Technically, it's mutter to tend, if it's not at a time of tefillah, if it's at a time when they're davening, then it's a problem because it looks like you're attending. But you stop a wedding. Well, let's be honest with you. An orthodox wedding at a conservative hall, Ramosha Feinstein says technically is mutter, but he says a, uh, I think his lashon is not a Yarishimayim, but he says in uh, a, a rabbi, like a chosh of a yid, should not attend such a place if he could avoid it. So practically, what does this mean? Listen, I've been to these type of weddings where Rabbanim in the neighborhood don't go. I will say this, they, they're bigger Rabbanim than I am. The Bali Simcha remember it. So I don't know if it's a good idea to not attend when the Bali Simcha remember it. If everything's being equal, there are Rabbanim that take Ramosha's words to heart. It's technically mutter, but a, a, a ish chashiv should not attend. But like I said, in life you have to be smart. And if a close friend of yours is getting married in such a place, I would attend. I have attended. And by the way, you should know, there's no distinction between in the actual synagogue, not in the actual synagogue, there's no difference. It's either mutter or it's aser. And like I said, technically, it's mutter. It's something that's, 
is uncomfortable and it's kind of, uh, as I say, it's kind of icky to attend such a place, but it's technically, there's no distinction. Um, it's technically mutter, but an ish choshev uh, ideally should not attend. But like I said, you have to you live in a world. You got to do what you got to do. It's not oser, so therefore, makam uh, tzarech is definitely mutter. The last category, and then, uh, you know, the last category is is, uh, is nothing I can do. And that is, I was just asked about this recently, Rav Scheinberg in that same tshuva says to attend a wedding between a Jew and a non-Jew, loyaleinu is oser, l'kuli alma, it uh, doesn't matter. You're not allowed to attend, even if it's a family member. It doesn't matter. It's it's not allowed. That's something that a Jew cannot attend. To go to a wedding where a Jew and a non-Jew are getting married, which is uprooting Klal Yisrael, that, that a person is not allowed to attend. And therefore, uh, Rav Scheinberg says that's Mamish Aser. And that's, you have to know exactly, listen, you know, it's not, it's not much of an Eitzah, and it might cause arguments, but in life, uh, sometimes arguments happen. But that's, that's the basic halacha. In the line of things that probably will going to make people a little uncomfortable, the second halacha I was asked, and this, 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 what I'm about to tell you is like a Dover Pashat. Incredibly simple. The end of it is, I don't think so Pashat. I don't know, to me, it's, it's something that makes me a little uncomfortable. Okay, so obviously we all know, I can give sources, but it's pretty obvious that mixed dancing at a wedding is, uh, is obviously not allowed. Pashat, it's not allowed. It doesn't matter. By the way, it's Usr. You should know it's Usr. Uh, even if there's no physical contact, even if it's just like a club setting and they're all just dancing together and they're not touching each other, it's about the Usr too. If you want a Maramakim, Rav Aaron Felder's at Sal and Shilas Aaron has a whole Arichas about it, but it's it's a Dover Pashat that you're not allowed to have mixed dancing. The, the Benishchai in Parsha Shoiftim says that even if the women are dancing themselves and it's not mixed, but there's no Mechitza, also, you shouldn't be in such a place. You have to have a mechitza when there's going to be dancing. And if there's dancing without a mechitza, then a, a from person should step out. But this is a davar pashit. Also, not allowed to have where couples are dancing with themselves. Meaning, even if all couples decide they're just going to dance with them, their wives. It's also not allowed. First of all, it's inappropriate. It's also, it falls under the category of chiba barabim, which is public forms of affection, which is not allowed according to halacha. But those are davar pashit. The only thing I will say, I, I, I don't know, I, this could make me like uh, more of a litva, the litvak in me. I've noticed, I've been at weddings, listen, I've been at weddings, you do this uh, in my f- line of work for long enough, you're going to go to weddings where the beginning it's separate, and then the, towards the second dance, the music changes, the dancing starts, and it's a little mixed, and that's my cue to leave. I don't make a scene, I just, that I'm going to leave anyway. It's kind of, you know, it's not a good thing, it's terrible, but for me, at least I don't have to stay to the end of the wedding. Ah, that's my cue to, to, cue to leave. But I, I've noticed this thing, that even in from weddings, where some family members will get together and they'll do like a shtickle rakida. They'll do uh, just a mix of the, you know, the mom and the dad, the siblings. Uh, ask your local rabbi that's not, I don't understand why that's allowed I'm not 100% sure how that evolved uh, I don't know I don't know I, I know it's become like a thing and even in like very frumer weddings not like Amish ultra orthodox but like regular weddings I, I don't know ask a shayla it's, it's still mixed dancing in any form is not allowed I, I don't know a phenomenal shayla so the, the mitzvotans is a very interesting thing. I wasn't going to talk about it, but the truth is, the mitzvotans goes down as one of the rare things in halacha where you have two... It's very rare in halacha to have two sides of one shiloh where either it's a mitzvah or it's aser. So first of all, there were paiskim that were very against the Taras Chaim, famously was very against mitzvotanses. Um, 
I will say this, part of the heter, again, it's, it's a little bit above my pay grade, and it's a very difficult child because there were big tzaddikim that did it. I will say this, they're not, they're not really dancing in the classical sense. They're usually, the woman is holding a gartel, and the chasen kala, it's okay, it's a, you know what? Okay, you know what? I, I'll, I'll, I'll step back. It's, it's, it was done. I don't think it was done in the dancing the way it's like nowadays, where you have like a full family circle. You know, that's a good point. Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back on that one. I'll tell you like this: the issue with dancing. Okay, there's dancing. The, the issue is dancing in front of men. It's megara the Yitzhahara. It arouses the Yitzhahara, which is not allowed. It's not allowed for the men. It's not allowed for the woman involved. Um, and, and it's overall, it's not considered, uh, you know, it's not considered appropriate. Like I said, listen, I, you know, I probably, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. If people do it, that's okay. Listen, it's not the same as a club. I'm not saying that. You ask your Shaila and, and uh, yeah. And then for all details of it, uh, <laughs> don't, don't contact me. So anyway, I, 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 whatever. People do it. As, I'm not saying it's also. I'm just saying it's just, uh, to me, it's a little funny. But okay, um, let's move right along. So we'll go to, go to a channel I'm much more comfortable with. Uh, I was asked this a couple of days ago. I said, Pasha, I, just, I might have spoken about this again. I just wanted to speak about it also. We know that in, in the laws of Shabbos, in the laws of Shabbos, we know that there's a concept that you're not allowed to ask a guy uh, to, to do malacha for you. And even if the guy does it for you without you asking, you're not allowed to benefit from it. But one of the heterim from the Magan Avram is called Psikresha. I just wanted to mention. So case was, you, you, have a, you open up your fridge, you, you realize you forgot to turn the light off on your fridge. So if you open it up, the light's going to go on. So the Magan Avram writes that you're allowed to ask a guy to do a malacha, what's called Psikresha. What do I mean? Your intention is to do A, but it will inevitably cause B to happen. So that's called psikresha. So I'll give you an example. My intention is to open up the fridge because I want to get the milk out. My intention is not to turn the light on, but it is inevitable. It is absolutely going to happen, no question. So when it comes to the laws of Shabbos, that's called psikresha. You're not allowed to open up the fridge for a Jew to do it would be usher. Writes the Magen Avram, for Amir la'akum psikresha's mutter, meaning when Chazal instituted Amir la'akum, preventing, it's a rabbinic prohibition, preventing you from, preventing you from asking a non-Jew to do malacha for you, Chazal did not extend it under all circumstances, Chazal stopped, and they did not extend it to psikresha, therefore you are allowed to outright ask a non-Jew to open up the fridge, even though it will cause the light to go on. Now, Ramosha in Achuva writes that ideally, I mean conceptually, if you have a non-Jew in your house, you ask them to open it every time. You ask them to open it, you ask them to close it, you ask them to open it, you ask them to close it. But that's not real life. Real life, uh, you know, generally you don't have uh, a non-Jew that's accessible like that. So Ramayusha says, you could ask them to open it, and then to unscrew the light bulb if you have no choice. It's, if it's impossible to ask them to constantly open and close it, so you have that one access of the guy, so you ask them to unscrew it. But the heter of having them open it is based on the concept of sikresha. Um... Okay, moving right along. So th- this is a shaila that comes up in, in Hashivenu fairly often. It comes up in every shul. And that is, we know that people are saying Kaddish. Unfortunately, uh, often you have many people that are saying Kaddish for loved ones. So it used to be, and we've talked about this a lot, so we're not going to talk about it now. It used to be, and it probably still is in Broyers and in other areas, 
where there would be one person saying Kaddish. That was their Zchus. But nowadays, we all know the Minig in Kuala Yisrael. Everybody says Kaddish at the same time. So while it is important for everyone to say Kaddish, and it's a big Zchus, it's important for, ev- first of all, it's, everyone, it's important for everyone to say it out loud. The Paiskim, the Binyan Siyan, was very against the concept of one person saying it out loud and then other people just saying it quietly. What's the point? The Indian of saying Kaddish is to be Mezaka the Tzibar, so that the Tzibar says, Amen. If you're saying it so low that nobody hears you, then how are you helping? The whole point is that the Tzibar says the Schus is that when the Tzibar answers Amen, it helps the Nifter. But if you're just saying it to yourself, what is it? you have to say it out loud or loud enough for everyone to hear. But it's important for everyone to try to say it at the same time. It's a very, very important thing. Um, and I'll talk about in a moment what happens if they're at, if they're uh, time delay, if they're not timed up. So what's interesting is it sort of evolved in Hashivenu. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. How, I mean, but <laughs> that, that they all say Kaddish like at the Amid. They all just sort of go to the Amid. There's a lot of shuls do it. So it's interesting. So I, I was looking into this a little bit. So the the Isha Yisrael brings down from the Sefer Elif Hamogen on the Mati Afrayim. That he actually writes the following: Lo yamdu kulam biyachad, do not all stand together. because you won't be able to hear them when they're all in unison. Rather, yisrachu let everyone spread out. That way, you'll say kaddish in this corner. Ten people, people will hear you. You'll say kaddish in that corner, in that corner. It's actually better to spread out. This is something uh, when he listens, Zalman will like that. So. There are, so the Elif Hamagin was actually against this. So I, I, so I saw this this morning, and I was like, oh, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should tell the people that the Elif Hamagin is against it. But we're going to let it go because I'll tell you why. The Tzitzliezer in Chelik Tes Simen Tes Vav, the Tzitzliezer has a whole arichus about it, and he feels that that's actually a bad idea because he says yes, the concept of Trekala Mishdamim means that when two people are speaking at the same time, you can't hear both. So if they're all together, you're naturally not going to be able to hear any singular person. So, so each person is sort of going to lose out on their schusim because then you, doesn't, you don't have people from the shul that could hear you. So he said to spread it out. The Tzitzliezer actually feels that that's a bad idea because statistically, if you spread it out, it's more likely that you will not be at the same time. And he feels that it is better for everyone to say Kaddish at the same time. And therefore, he says on the contrary, get together Stand in the center, because that way you'll have a better chance. So you have these two different viewpoints. Whatever people do, it's, it's what to rely on. But, they're, they're, but they both agree that it is ideally preferred, and it's definitely preferable for everyone to be at the same pace. Now, very simple question. What happens if you have two people that are really not at the same pace? You got... Yeah, you know, you have your in this, which they shouldn't. If they should do it, they should do it so fast that you can't tell. But you have two people saying Kaddish, and they're mamish at different paces. So me, the person in the shul, and who am I answering? Do I answer the one who's fast? Do I answer the one who's slow? Do I just say once? Do I answer both? So the Mishabura in Simen Nunhei Sifkatan Dalad writes as follows. He says, Kasav Behilchas Ketanis. If you have two or three people saying Kaddish together, and one person is just much quicker than the other, so here's the rule. Let's say two people, Reuben and Shem, are saying Kaddish. They're not at the same time. If they're both saying Amen within which is Shalom Alecha Rabbi Mori, so let's say two seconds. If they're both within two seconds of each other, so then the halacha is, 
Mishnah says you get to choose. Just say one Amen. You could either go with the first one, you can go with the second one, but your Amen will cover. But says, Vim Yesh Hefzik, but let's say they're Mamish. You have it sometimes. It says, you, you, you hear, Amen. And then you hear, and then five seconds later, Amen. So then, says the Mishnah, if it's a gap of more than two seconds, Yana Kolachad Answer twice. So what you'll end up doing is you'll answer Amen. Answer Amen, answer Amen, answer Amen. If it's more than two seconds, that's the halacha. But that's why it is important and it is better to, that, to sync up. But if they're not synced up, if it's more than a two-second gap, you answer Amen multiple times. That's the psak of the Mishabura. Um, this is a shayla that I just want to m- mention some of the halachas. Unfortunately, someone's at a levaya. And we know that after levaya, you have to wash your hands. So there are specific minhagim related to washing your hands after Levaya. Most of them are similar to washing, the same uh, minhagim apply after leaving a cemetery. But the minig is that after a Levaya or a cemetery, you wash three times with a vessel, uh, intervaling, inter, uh, doing, it's called serugin. So you do right, left, right, left, right, left. The same way in the morning, because that's the type of washing, the, the rule of thumb is that that's the form of washing that you do to remove evil spirits. The, the, the washing of bread is not for that function, and therefore you're not doing it in the morning where you're trying to remove the ruach ra. That's the methodology. So you do it one, 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 one. There is a minig. These are minhagim. I can't explain that. I, I can't tell you why, but these are the minhagim. You'll trace back many, many dars yushalayim. The minig is we do not pass the cup from person to person. You place it down, ideally upside down. So at a levaya, uh, cemeteries also, it's not as common, but a levaya, everyone leaves the levaya, you do not hand the cup from person to person. You place it down and you place it upside down. That's the minig of Yishalayim brought down the Sefenata Gabriel. It's like a little bit akin to we don't pass bread from hand to hand. To, you know, we don't do that. We pass the cup. We don't pass the cup and you put it upside down. A couple more minhagim and then I have it. Yeah, exactly. The shovel also. You don't pass the shovel from hand to hand. Um, the minig of Yishalayim is they don't dry your hands afterwards. You let it air dry. So Minigab Yushalayim is that after Levaya, you don't dry your hands. I will say this, the place can say if it's the winter and you're very cold, okay, you have a Terlayim. The Minig is to not dry your hands. After a cemetery, you could dry your hands, but the Minigab Yushalayim is after Levaya, you don't dry your hands. And also, there is a Minig, it's a real Minig brought down by the Paiskim. you do not enter a building without washing your hands. So this is why... A lot of times you'll have where someone will, uh, like I'll call a family member and say, okay, I'm outside, uh, can you please bring me water? We don't enter a building without washing the hands after Leviah. Not a seventh day, after Leviah, we don't enter a building. So, uh, listen, if you can't, you can't. But if there's someone in the house, you'll call them and say, please bring water outside. They'll bring the water, put it down, because you don't pass it to each other, and you wash your hands outside. There is an eight, so let's say you find yourself where you, you have, there's no one inside the house. The Sefer HaMinhagim of Chabad, this is, so this is, uh, this is written, uh, Sefer HaMinhagim of Chabad, these are all old Minhagim, it's not, it's not something new. No. It was written in the 60s, but it goes back to hundreds of years, because it goes back to the, all the way to the Balatani. The Sefer HaMinhagim of Chabad says, you're allowed, again, I don't know, this is all Kabbalistic, you're allowed to enter a shul. You're allowed to enter a shul, base Medrash, base Knesset is allowed. So I, I, I've had situations where I've been at a Levaya, and there's no one in my house, to call to bring it out, so I come here. You're allowed to enter uh, a shul, a base knesses, a base medrash doesn't have this problem. That's the minhagim regarding washing your hands after levaya. 
A um, couple more halachas, and then I'll, I'll mention two more halachas, and I'm happy to take questions. Keep it short today. One more halacha. Um, this, is a, it, this is just a, a, a common thing that I don't, I don't think people are careful with. Um, the halacha is that we know that between the bracha and the eating, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to make a hefzik. That everyone, Baruch Hashem, is very, very familiar with. In addition to not making a hefzik, the paiskim say it's not as severe, but it's also included in the prohibition. You're not allowed to make noises. So, like nu or shh, those things are not allowed. Even singing, the paiskim are against. So I'll tell you when this is very common. The, the, the head of the bias made a hamaitzi. I'm not talking about in, in between Til Sidaim and Hamaitzi is not as severe. I'm talking after the Hamaitzi before you get the Chal. So you're sitting there. You really are not allowed to talk. The bracha was made. You're not allowed to be mafsik. Saying nu is not allowed. Shh. The symbols and everyone's making like charades. It's not appropriate. Even singing is something that it's better not to. You should not be mafsik whatsoever between the bracha and the achila. So just something, again, you know, I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but it's something just to be a little bit extra careful with. And one last halacha, and then I'm happy to take questions. Um, so I was in, I went to Costco yesterday. I got a Costco membership. Um, and we're walking through the store. And so my mother had this large bag of frozen strawberries. So the frozen strawberries bag says, not checked. So she asked me if she could use it. So I said, it's fine. So I just wanted to clarify anyone was present for that conversation, but, it's, you know, if my mother's listening. So, the, the halach is like this. Frozen strawberries, the reason why it was okay is because in my family, we only use it for blending for smoothies. The pois can bring down is a sheet of the taz. The taz was mekel, it's not just the taz, other pois can also, but just the taz is, you know, one of the good pois and the shach also, is that you're allowed to blend fruits and vegetables, even if they might have bugs, if your intention is not to add bugs to your drink. So let me explain. If you have a strawberry, right, and let's say there's a bug there, and I, I do believe, I used to be, when I was younger, I used to think that the whole bug thing was like a, a frum thing. There are bugs. <laughs> there are definitely bugs in a lot of the fruits and vegetables. I haven't had a Brussels sprout and an aspar- uh, asparagus in a very long time because uh, broccoli, I won't eat uh, fresh broccoli because I used to check it and it was just mamish, like infested mamish. So... So you want to take broccoli and you want to make it into a broccoli zhuzh soup. The paiskim are lenient. Why? So let's say you have a broccoli, right? It has a bug in it. You can't eat it. Now you'll say, and I, the bug is tiny. Isn't there shishim on the broccoli? The answer is this is called a beria. A beria means it's a complete isser. The way God made it, it's complete. It's got all its legs. It's got its eyes. It's got its face. It's a complete thing. Complete things are not bottle regardless of their size. So you'll say, okay, let me slice the bug in half. Then it's less than 60, and it's bottle. That would work. The problem is you're not allowed to do that. Ein mevatlin is which means that a person is not allowed to nullify an iser. By you cutting the bug's legs off, by pulverizing the bug, you're technically making it no longer a barrier, no longer a complete unit. Now it just goes into a regular prohibition, which is nullified in 60 times its size. But you're not allowed to do that. Because then, I, you know what you could do if you're allowed to do this? You could take a giant pot of cholent and you could just take a dropper of milk, figure out the shishim and be like, okay, which, you're not allowed to do that. Why not? There's shishim. There's 60 times. I want to put a little cheese in the 60 times. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to take averas and nullify it into your dish. However, says the Taz, 
What if you're doing it, but your intention is not to add it to your dish? You see, the case of the dropper of the milk, your intention is to add milk to your cholent. What if my intention is not to do that? My intention is to do side effect. I want to do something else, and it's just going to happen. But it's not my intention. The Taz says it's allowed. I'll tell you how that would be relevant. They, wanted to, they used to strain honey to get rid of the legs of bees. There would be bee parts in the honey. How do you strain honey? It's thick. You melt it. You heat it up. So you heat it up and then strain it. The problem is when you heat it up, you're now cooking. These little bits of bees are now being cooked and spreading the flavor in. Before that, it wasn't cooked. There was no spreading of flavor. By you heating it up, you're basically making a bee soup. Now it's 60 times, but you're doing that. But your intention is not to do that. Your intention is to heat it up to strain it. The Paiskim say it's allowed. So too over here, by you pulverizing the strawberries, yes, you are making the bugs in the strawberries nullified, which is naturally not allowed. But I'm not doing it because I want bugs in my smoothie. I'm doing it because I want strawberries in my smoothie. I don't care about the bugs. It's not like I want to add little bug parts into my smoothie. I, I have, my intention is to have strawberries. I just want the strawberries to be pulverized because that makes the smoothie taste better. I, the bugs will be nullified. It's not my intention. That's allowed. That's what the Pais can say. So I, listen, would it be better to get things that are checked? Of course. But if a person buys frozen strawberries that are not checked and he wants to turn it into a smoothie, there's definitely Pais that would be leaning to such a thing.